Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. A couple of beanie boys. Yeah, that's good. I'm in the phase of my hair growing out, so I'm constantly wearing hats. Uh, growing out in what sense? Are you growing out the mohawk and getting a full well, rounded head of hair going on? No, it's like beautiful hat hair, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I bet no. you wish we were still on YouTube. <laughs> so I've extended the mohawk out to like be here, and then I've actually made the the backside more wide, so it's more of like a mullet right now. Amazing! <laughs> yeah, got the yeah. rat tail going on. I'm looking at um, Maynard James Keenan when he first started in Tool and had that long sort of mane. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I think I might go for. We'll see what happens. Singing with his back to the crowds. Yeah. <laughs> completely disinterested. Like, oh, there's an audience here. All right, guys, thanks for coming. Anyway, <laughs> see you in a bit. Um, Jesse's very patiently just sat and watched me eat a whole big bag of crisps and a big like peanut kind of candy bar thing as well. So thank you for you know biding, <laughs> biding, bearing with me. Thank oh, you for Joe like Bidening with me while oh, I have please. my dinner. Pass out and make bad decisions. Joe Biden it. <laughs> Joey bag of bones Biden. I, I don't know why I'm getting involved. It's not my country. Silence, Matthew. It's, um, it's kind of not mine either. <laughs> so we figured, because it's been ages since we've shared one of these publicly, uh, that we would today do a one-on-one. Jesse and man. we We have a tendency to call these episodes check-ins, but... I don't think this is going to be the nature of today's chat. I don't think there's much checking in that needs to be done. At least I hope there isn't. Um, But we do want to just have a chat like we like to do without a guest. Um, For the last few months, we've been putting these conversations specifically and our listener style interviews on Patreon only. Um, But now we've kind of like stripped the show and the Patreon page back. We figured we'd tap back in with the public podcast and do a little one-on-one on here remind you of how much fun they are and then hopefully you'll go oh i want to hear more of these and then you can go over to patreon.com forward slash stoke the fire sign up for five dollars a month that's the only tier that we have just one and that will grant you access to everything on patreon uh including many one-on-one podcasts many listener interviews um lots of behind the scenes videos from from jesse leach uh, spoken word poetry, DJ mixes, playlists, all kinds of goodness. Um, but I messaged you a couple of day, uh, days ago, dude, and said that we should discuss today the idea of success and longevity. Because um, it's, it's a theme that's been on my mind because I'm very anniversary-centric and I get quite hung up on on dates. And this year for me marks 10 years since I left Kerrang! Radio which was my first job in, in the music industry, hosting the evening show. 
Um, I had a four-year stint with the station. Absolutely loved every single second of it. Uh, in my final year as host of the evening show, I got nominated for a, a, quite a prestigious award. Um, I lost out to Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones in the end. But I was like, if you're going to lose to anyone, might as well be a Rolling Stone. And then in June of 2013, it was the day before download was when I did my last show. Uh, but about a month before that, it came completely out of the blue and, and we got called in to the station one day for what was called then, and I now know to be not this, but it was it was called a strategic meeting, um, which if you get called into one of those, it means you're getting fired. So sorry to <laughs> sorry to break that to you, but that, that is exactly what happened. Well, I didn't get fired. The whole team got dissolved. The station got taken off the airwaves and it switched to an online only internet radio station which it remains to this day uh several of my friends still work there but you know it's a, a significantly lower operating level than it once was the listening figures are vastly lower and it's just it's not the station it was um without any disrespect to anybody who still works there they probably admit that themselves it's just not and it was such a shame and i was only 27 when this happened i was 24 when i joined the station 27 when um it was dissolved. And so for the last 10 years, I've just been winging it. And I've been thinking a lot about the last decade because it is 10 years since I left Kerrang! And I haven't had another full-time steady position or place of, of income since then. And I'm just amazed that I'm still in the game, to be honest. And, and I think you even more so than me, dude, can relate. You're writing a new Killswitch album at the moment. You've got to be close to 20 years in the game at this stage. Obviously left the band, came back, you've done other projects. So I'd like to just open up the discussion, and I will stop rambling in a moment, everybody. Don't worry, I will tap Jesse in. Um, I think success for me isn't about climbing to the top of the ladder and killing it and, you know, being this famous fucking, you know, superstar. For me, success is really about longevity and the ability to just keep doing what you enjoy doing no matter what the highs or the lows or the costs, obviously to a certain point, you don't want it to be detrimental to your physical or mental health all the time. But um, I think there's definitely something to be said for those that are still around. Mm. Um, and I feel I take pride in the fact that I'm still around and I know you do too. So yeah, let's get into it, shall we? When, when you were starting out, did you ever conceive that you know, you'd be approaching your mid-40s and still making a living from art, music and performance? Absolutely not. You know, I thought at some point I would have to go back and get a real job for sure. You know, and I think success, you know, at the top of this, I think it's important to say, I think success is different for everybody. You, know, you can frame it in, in regards to sort of being an independent artist like yourself, which there's no team of people around you. There's no people around you sort of going, we should do this or what about this or how about this you're really driving your own ship so you know we're with me i've got managers i've got bandmates i've got people around me that even on days when i'm like feeling lazy or feeling down or whatever i've got people that are pushing me or including yourself even with this podcast so i think you got to frame it up differently for everybody and then there's people who can look at their success at a job where they started out a certain position and they moved up in the ranks, whether that be corporate or whatever. And I think that's a loaded question for some people. You know, I've definitely felt like a quote unquote failure in my career. Um, 
but I know that that's not true. And I do think a lot of that has to do with longevity and just showing up. You know, I think I've heard it said that as a musician, making music, making a record, making a song, the moment that it's done and it's out of your hands and you've made it, you've created it, that's already success. And some people would argue, well, it's really not because what if the song doesn't do well? What if the album doesn't do well? What, what if you're not able to live off it? But I guess, again, I think that depends on how you view success. And I think the reality of the fact is, if you are still doing something that you love, regardless of how you have to subsidize your income, that is still success. I completely think that. So with you, you had that structure around you at the radio station where you would show up and people were doing all their things. And now you're doing it completely on your own. The contrast to that, I'm sure you can speak on that. Did that shift your view of success going from Kerrang Radio to, to being essentially all alone, having to do it yourself? Yeah, it was really tough, man. That, that transition um, you know, has probably taken me a decade. It really has because when the news was shared with us, everybody was distraught. But everybody else at the station was that bit older than me. I was kind of the baby of, of the group. Everybody else was mid-30s, all had been in the game a little longer. They were all married or partnered up. Most of them had agents. So although the news was tough for everybody, a lot of people were kind of like, this happens in this industry. I can navigate these seas with the help of my agent, my partner, or you know, they were lucky enough to keep their job. Whereas... I didn't really have anybody that understood, like none of my friends understood what that was like to lose your dream job. And it was my dream job, man. Like I, I couldn't have hoped for a better way to spend my 20s than living in Birmingham where I'm from. I'm actually wearing a little Birmingham jumper uh, right now, uh, accidentally. And, you know, you, it's like Wayne's World, man. You're on the airwaves in the whole of the Midlands area and you're like a local little celebrity, like you're a hometown hero. And it's not fame, but it's like everyone's rooting for you and, and you're notorious, but for the right reasons. Mm. And it was such a cool feeling. And like, you know, I'd go home to my village where my parents live and I'd see like a friend from school's dad. Like this is just a real life example. A friend from school's dad filling up his car at the petrol station and he'd like see me walking past and he'd be like, Matt, loving your show on Kerrang, man. Listen to it every night. You're doing a great job. Like just love it. Absolutely love it. Those little moments, that was true height of success for me then. And looking back now, probably like the height of success in a certain form in terms of like the, the recognition from others. You know, there's nothing better. You can probably speak to this and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that notion of being a hometown hero and making it in your area and being able to step out and like people know you but for the right reasons, because they're proud of you and they're rooting for you. Like, did you as a band have that in the north? Is it the northeast of, of Massachusetts? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's a mixed bag. You, you definitely have those people who are proud of you. You have those people who, um, you know, who are close to you, grew up with you, um, that were proud of you. But you also have the people who, you know, for better or for worse, are haters, you know. But that's going to happen when you sort of get, you know, um, noticed and you get some sort of a level of quote unquote success. Um, but, you know, for me, it was never about that. You know, I, I don't really like fame per se. I don't really like when I'm noticed a lot, but I have to say 
what sort of opened my eyes to how I think that there is a level of, I don't want to say importance, but when someone tells you you're doing a good job, when someone reassures you that you do have success, it's it's kind of nice, right? I mean, it's sort of like, boosts your spirits and it's like if you're out there on your own doing your thing and you're not getting that feedback if you've got a brain like i do you tend to self-deprecate you tend to sort of think less of yourself and when people remind you that you are doing well it feels good but what i think i've realized especially coming out of the you know the the, the pandemic and sort of dealing with my mental health and trying to cut back on, you know, substances and partying, sitting with my own brain, I realize I've got to redefine that. I I can't I can't really base what I think is success based on what people say because I think the moment you start leaning on that too hard, that's a slippery slope because especially in a career um as a musician, you have your times where you're doing really well and things are great and you're a band that people talks about in a high regard and then you have the years where you sort of slope down, the pay gets a little less, the people recognize you less, and then you might go back up. So that roller coaster, throughout all that, I think what you've got to maintain is your view of yourself, the way you see yourself, to be proud of yourself, to sort of see your success through your own lens, your own filter that doesn't have to do with external filters. And I know people could sort of shake their heads and go, well, you could be quote unquote successful, but what if you're broke? What if, what if you're this, what if you're that? I mean, all those things are nice to make money, to, to make a living, but I, I know I would still be doing music if I didn't have any of those things, I would still be doing it because I can't not do it. Just like you with between your hosting, your DJ gigs, presenting, that's something that you do. You are, it's in your blood. You're an entertainer. You're somebody that can step up in front of a room full of people and handle yourself. And that's a skill. And I don't think that you would stop doing that. I mean, you'd have to obviously supplement your income, which you do now, um, but you wouldn't stop doing that. There's something that just drives you. And if you feel fulfilled in that regard that you're still doing it, that is success. It truly is. But, um, you know, everyone's got an opinion about it, I'm sure. Yeah, there's so much I want to say, and I'm sure we're just going to bounce back and forth. And so sorry for everybody listening if there isn't like a clear thread and a direct line through this. But, um, you know, this is just how we do it. We don't plan these things. We just talk from the heart. So you walk, I'm walking around Birmingham, fucking hometown hero, loving my life, just absolutely on top of the world. Rug gets pulled from underneath me. Dream job's gone. And literally, it's no over-exaggeration to say that my life as I knew it was over, completely was. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't emotionally intelligent enough at that stage to know how to move forward because I came to be defined, as you're saying, there's danger there. And I found out the hard way. I came to be defined by my role, my persona, you know, things that weren't really me and who I was. I became Matt Stocks from Kerrang Radio. But then when Kerrang Radio is gone, what are you? Who am I? And so I would go out in Birmingham. And at this point, I'm just like, I'm living basically for free with my friend Ian. I didn't want to move back home at this point because I was just, I was partying a lot to deal with the pain of losing my job. And I didn't want to be around my family in this lifestyle. So my friend Ian very kindly let me live at his house in a spare room. 
I think it was for free. If it, it was, if I was paying anything, it was like literally 50 quid a week or something, nothing. And I'm just out all the time drinking and like, you know, I'm not chasing. I, I remember I went for a job interview for the producer of the radio one rock show. And I didn't really want to do it because I was like, I'm a presenter. You know, I, I don't want to be a producer. I don't want to help somebody else make their show. I want to make my show. I want to do a show myself. Um, but I applied for this job. And I remember, man, I was on like a three-day cocaine jag before it. This is how little I cared or, or how lost I was. And I go down to this interview for this production company who do all the radio shows on BBC. And I've got like fucking nail varnish on, like pink nail varnish, because I've been fucking, you know, like with girls, painting fucking my makeup on myself. And, you know, I, <laughs> like I'm fucked. I've been awake. I, I'd slept before the interview, but I'd been awake and partying for like three days. And like just, you know, I've got like this corduroy shirt. I must have looked wild, man. Like I turned up there like a guy who's been on tour for like two weeks, but it's for like a corporate, you know, production job. And they were like, and I knew I'd blown it straight away just by the state I was in, you know, visually and, and, and mentally and everything else. But the guy who anyway went on to get that job was um, a dude who had previously edited Kerrang! magazine. And he only got the job because of his friendship with with the host, which is fine because I got my job on Kerrang! through a personal friendship, I would say. You know, ability was a part of it. But I just remember, and this isn't tra me trash talking this dude, but I'm like, the dude's a magazine editor. He's not worked a single day of his life in radio, and he's just got the job hosting, like, at that point, because Kerrang's gone, like, the biggest rock show, rock radio show in the UK, and I'm like, the guy's never worked in radio ever. And um, that's when I was really like, it ain't about what you know, it's who you know. Like, that was a clear, you know, example of that. So then my hopes were kind of a little bit shattered, and I was like, I don't have an agent, I don't know anyone in London, you know, because Kerrang was in its own little, you went there, it was its own little thing. Yeah. Exist, it existed outside of the London industry politics. And, and that was something I'm still to this day forever grateful for is I, I had that induction into this world through just like the, this little bubble of just good people who were great at their job and they weren't fucking interested in the politics. That shaped the man I am now. So I'd be out and about in Birmingham, you know, DJing occasionally for a little bit of, of pocket money for beer. But other than that, I wasn't really up to anything. And um, people would come up to me. They'd recognize me and they'd go, hey, Matt, you know, you used to love your show on Kerrang. What are you up to these days? And I'd never have an answer because I wasn't doing anything. And over a six-month period, I got just more and more depressed, drinking more and more. And I, I really felt like I became a ghost in my own life, 27 years old. So in my head, I was like, well, I'm going to die. I'm going to drink myself to death. I'm going to join the 27 Club, go out like a fucking rock star. You know, stupid, cliched, ignorant thoughts. But that was where my head was at. And I just could not find a reason to live. And it was so dark and so fucking hopeless. Such a bleak period in my life. And um, it wound up with me, you know, waking up on some train tracks with a broken spine. And we'll do another episode another time where we get in more into just that, because that's a fucking, you know, podcast series in and of itself. But I wake up busted up on the train tracks. Um, and that was, you know, that was rock bottom um, for sure. And I got discharged from hospital. They, for whatever reason, didn't pick up the three fractures in my spine. They sent me out of there walking and I got a cab home, but I knew I was fucked. Long story short, um, and I hate when people say that because it's like, just tell, <laughs> just, just tell the long story, but it is too long. Long story short, I went back to hospital 
um and and they were like oh yeah you, you've got a broken back and fractured fucking ribs and all this stuff so i spent three months in bed flat on my back again this is the shorthand version of this and we will you know get into the full story another day but three months just looking at the ceiling thinking what does life look like when i get out of here if i can walk again um because three months dude is a fucking long time to just lie in bed i couldn't even roll over couldn't twist or turn i just had to lie flat i'd have to ring a bell whenever i needed to take a shit and the nurse would come in and help me like you know all 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 ego goes out the window in that situation all ego all sense of self-worth but that was great for me uh, it completely stripped away all the bullshit that had been eating me up and i had so many great friends come and visit me throughout that time and my family was right there by my side and that's when i realized like this is what's important friendship and family the fucking Kerrang shit was just a job. As fun as it was, as epic as it was, as much fun as I had, it's a fucking job. And I let a job and the loss of a job impact me to such a point where I basically tried to take myself out, which is insane and absurd when I think about it now. But when you're wrapped up in these moments, you think that it's the be all and end all, but it is not. It's a job. It doesn't define you. And that was such an important lesson for me. So when I was healing and getting close to sitting up for the first time and walking for the first time and eventually being discharged from hospital i started applying for jobs because i was fucking hungry and it was like this is the big comeback i'm ready to fucking get back in the game but it's going to be a different approach this time it's not going to be the be all and end all it's just going to be a part of my overall life and i got a job at this radio station in london i remember fucking i'd been out of hospital like a matter of days i still had like a back brace on i i caught the train that was important for me, having you know nearly died on train tracks. I was like, I've got to go face that fear, take the train. Took the train to London. I'm like walking around London with this back brace, went for this job interview, got this job. And, and ironically enough, it was a, as a producer of their breakfast show because I was like, I just need any job because I just want to be busy and back in it. So I'll fucking yeah. humble, I'll humble myself. I produced this dude. He never worked in radio before in his life. I had to totally train him and teach him how to be a radio presenter. And, you know, there was a tiny part of me that whole time was like, well, I could just do this job so much better, but that's not what I've been employed to do. So did that job happily, had a great relationship with this dude. Same thing happened with this station after a few months. I think it was clear to me, oh, the party's going to be over soon here because they were just pissing money away. You go to like Sonosphere Festival and they'd have like a Formula One race car just there. And you're like, well, how much did this cost? Like, what are you wasting money on? This is a fucking race car. It's got nothing to do with music. And sure enough, they ran out of funding or whatever they did. They stole a bunch of money. The guys who were running it, a bunch of fucking crooks, a lot of them. And that went under and out. So again, it's like back to square one. But that this time, the second time, I could not have been less affected or impacted by that. I was just like, I know now I can get any, any job, any time. Like, you just got to put yourself out there. So then I'd put myself out there for Scuzz TV. That's where re we reconnected again. And I interviewed you for that. And um, then I'm writing for Metal Hammer and doing all this stuff. and. That's when I started to become the person that I am today, where it's just, it's me against the world kind of mentality of I don't. And then when, again, Scuzz TV would be liquidated, the company that owned Metal Hammer and Classic Rock magazine was, was liquidated. And there was like these series of events over the course of a couple of years where I was like, wow, every company I work for, every platform, every medium in the music business, the rock music end specifically, they're all going out of business like fucking no tomorrow. So I was like, there's no future in any of this. I've just got to set up shop on my own and find my own path. And so that's when I started my podcast, Life in the Stocks, and started DJing and touring and basically doing everything and anything that I could 
to, to have one foot in the game, but on my own terms. And there's been struggles, as you know, more than anyone financially and emotionally. And, you know, you kind of struggle with your sense of self-worth and what, why am I doing this? Age comes in, you want a better quality of life. You begin to start having doubts if I made the right choice here. But I really turned a corner recently where I'm like, you know, I'm working at my mate's pub, which is ironic as hell because that's you know minimum wage job that I was doing when I was 18. Now I'm like twice that age and it's like, why am I still doing this? But I've realized now success for me is, is happiness in, in your workplace or in, indeed in your life. Mm. And I'm not a wealthy man. I barely, 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 barely scrape by. I've got about 13 pounds to my name as we talk now, discluding the several thousands of debt, 13 pounds exactly to my name. Um, so I'm not wealthy, but I fucking love my life. I love what I do. I love the people that I get to interact with and work with and collaborate with. Um, never been happier, never felt more confident and comfortable in my own skin. And, and I've just really turned a corner recently where I'm like, everything for me just has to be about the enjoyment of it. I have to fucking love it. Um, and I found myself not loving doing my own podcast because it wasn't making me money and I've been struggling for so long. And then I just thought, you know what? Fuck it. Now I don't check my listening figures. I don't go chasing massive guests. I will email certain people and say, can I have so-and-so on the show? But it's very blase. I just go, here's the facts. Here's the stats. Here's what the show is about. If you're in awesome, if you're not, no worries. And I really just like, not in a flippant way, but I've stopped caring about so much of it. The song and the dance and the fucking chess game that the music industry can be because I've learned that you could be hot one minute and then, you know, very quickly you can be the ne yesterday's news. So for me, it's like longevity is everything. And I look at these people now who are coming up and, you know, part of me, if I wasn't in such a good place, would probably be threatened by that as I think all old people are like by the young people coming up. And I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this about mm. you know, up, upcoming bands when you've been at it for a certain amount of time. It's like, do people still care about this guy? But I think that, what keeps me going is, well, I'll see where they are in 10 years because I know where I'll be and that's at the table, still here. Um, and so, yeah, I think for me, and this isn't the purpose of this episode, isn't to blow our own trumpets or anything like that. I just really wanted to dissect the nature of success and by extension of that happiness and contentment because I feel like it can apply to anybody in whatever trade or craft or profession they're in. Um, and we all struggle and we all have our, you know, tweaks and our self-doubt that holds us back but i think it's just really important to share with people that you can find your own pace and your own stride and just sit in that and that's really where for me true success and happiness lies yeah um, i think i think a part of that too is uh, you know what we're doing i hope we're doing uh, is leveling the playing field you know people who listen to this podcast may have a certain idea of how you and i live or how we operate um especially if you haven't been paying attention to you know how we do present ourselves and it's honest and you know i'd say the same thing you know in my career i've fallen quote unquote flat on my face i've been broke i lost a home the first home i ever owned i lost it i was eighty thousand dollars in debt um i'm still in credit card debt like i don't i don't measure my success by being wealthy um or having you know, notoriety or, or being a controversial figure. I've really never been a controversial figure where, you know, I know bands that have had those things and I've either toured or been around bands that have wealth, have money, have crazy lives, are viewed as like these crazy rock stars. And, 
majority of the time, those people are very either unhappy or unwell. Or insecure, right? Or, yeah, or hyper insecure where they're threatened by everything. And I like that you brought that up about being threatened because I think it's really something that I, I wouldn't say I deal with it because I'm not that type of a person. But, you know, if you look at, um, you know, you're speaking about the, the broadcasting and radio side of things from a band's perspective, uh, for someone who's been doing this as long as I have, which I'm actually pushing closer to 30 years in total of doing music. Cause I started when I was 14. Um, and to, how hard I worked to develop my vocal style and how hard I worked to, you know, be original lyricist and like things that I did were genuine. They weren't super derivative. And if, clearly I had my inspirations, but, um, you know, now we have the internet. Now we have teachers who can teach you a particular technique to scream where you can outlast. And, you know, I look at myself as old school. I'm from the old school. I'm from an era where you did it all yourself. And then I had help. And then I had sort of a team behind me, but I did, I didn't get there with people pushing me. Mom and dad weren't paying for me to, to have equipment or putting me into a music school or going to like the school of rock and learning how to be a rock star. Like there was none of that in my childhood. And now you see people, you know, I see young people, young vocalists, even who are half my age that could easily sound like me, probably perform on paper better than me. But what I think you need to realize as an individual and as an artist is there's nobody that can do it like you. And there's a reason why you are Matt Stocks and you are the type of person that you are, your personality you know, the type of music that you like, the type of gigs that you take, the people that you've grown to love and they've grown to love you. And then me as a vocalist with my lyrics, the way I present myself on stage, on social media, these are things that can't be duplicated. We are people, we're personalities. It's genuine. Um, and I think that that's what I've realized through the years because I have faced insecurities. Of course I have, because I've had problems with my voice. You know, I had to get surgery in 2018 and that was super humbling um and if i just pay attention to the success of some of these younger bands and what they're doing now and how like you know at one point kill switch was on trend kill switch is doing massive things with howard at the helm you know i would say at one point they were probably one of the bigger metal bands in the world um and we're now at a stage where our particular quote-unquote genre of music is less popular than say the younger bands who are out there now doing whatever style of music uh, they call it nowadays. And you have to just sort of sit back. And like you said, where will those bands be in 10 years? But also, where are you going to be in 10 years? And I love that because I know for sure, if I'm not on tour with Killswitch, I'm going to be doing something. And I'm going to enjoy it. And my perspective has changed from what I used to think success was when I was younger much like the young Matt Stocks when he was doing his dream job with Kerrang Radio, you know, I had that opportunity with Killswitch and I walked away from it on my own terms. Granted, probably not the best financial decision or decision of my career, and it definitely affected me for a long period of time. But if I hadn't made that decision, if I hadn't gone back to working regular jobs and using music as sort of my my hobby for a good chunk of time, 
I wouldn't have the appreciation that I do for what I do, even to this day, being back in Killswitch for over a decade. I still know what it's like to be behind a bar, pull on that stick for people when they drink, sweeping up the floor, cleaning toilets, parking cars, working in carpentry, all these things that I had to do to continue to survive while I didn't give up on what I loved. And I did that for a long amount of time. It's, it's something that's not talked about a lot. You have to do what you have to do to eat, to pay bills. But if you stop chasing that dream, you stop pursuing that thing that makes you feel alive and you love, then you've lost it. You've lost it. And I know people that have given up their dreams, people I admired when I was younger that no longer affiliate with music or art, that just do what they're told behind a desk. And it breaks my heart. So the fact that we are still doing it, regardless, 100% that is success and on a different level. Yeah, I guess the idea of it then is that success means that you just don't give up. That's it. As long as you're still in the mix and you keep trying. And obviously, you know, dreams can change over time. And as I've spoken about before, I think there will come a time when, when my priorities and my drive will shift. And I do want to get more into education and academia. And I want to impart the skills and the knowledge that I've acquired onto younger people so they can benefit from it. Um, but I sit quite comfortably with my place, not just in the the industry that I work in, but my place in my own timeline in life. And I love the age that I'm at. And I love looking at younger people and how excited they are uh, and not feeling that excitement myself, but not being bitter or jaded either, just sitting comfortably with what I've done. And I've done everything I wanted to do. That's what's the coolest thing is like so much of, of the kind of conversations that take place with people who aren't my friends, you know, just like acquaintances in the industry when you're at events and the first thing everyone always asks me is, so what, what are you up to next? What's, what's on the horizon? You know, and it's like, well, I've just come back from the Kiss Cruise. Like, can we not talk about that for at least a minute? And it's always, whether it's capitalism there or whether it's ambition or whatever that driving spark is, but it's never enough. And it's always, well, what's next? More, more, more. And I don't feel like that. I'm like, now nah, I'm good. Like, and this right here, you know, the fact that I get, because I need to address this and and sorry if it makes you uncomfortable, but I've just been at my friend Pritchard's house this week as well. And I'm like, I sometimes, I don't like to do it too often because, you know, it can become disingenuous. It's only every now and again, I'll like to just sort of sit in total appreciation for the things that I get to do in my life. And the fact that I get to sit here with you week in, week out and have these conversations as somebody who, you know, I met, we were not on equal terms when we first met at all. You know, I was a young, like fresh, wet behind the ears, excited young presenter who loved what you put out into the world and, you know, was just in awe of your, um, the example that you set as an artist and as a human being and as a creative. And to have our relationship evolve to the point where we're like the dearest and closest of friends. And I have that with a couple of people mm. through work. Like I've been at Pritchard's house this week and i can't really say what we're working on at the moment but we're working on something really special together and the nature of my friendship with him is becoming more like my friendship with you like so 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 close because of the vulnerability and the conversations we've shared and i'm like man he's the reason i fucking wanted to be a presenter in the first place like watching his show dirty sanchez as a kid 
along with Jackass and CKY, like they're the guys that inspired me to pick up a camera and start talking to the camera for the first time and like developing a personality on air. And like, that's my hero from childhood. He's now like my fucking brother. And, you know, you can risk sounding sycophantic and kind of like, oh, you know, I'm successful because I'm friends of famous people. Like, no, it's not about that. It's finding bonds that run so deep with people that you you know i still look up to you and 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 matt and people like that as my heroes but i also get to call you my my brothers now um and then i have all these friends from from school that you know are here in bristol with me now that have known me my whole life and being with all of those guys for my birthday weekend a couple of weekends ago you know did a little speech and had a little cry because i was just like man i'm so fucking grateful for the people that i have in my life for the life that i get to live um and if that isn't success then i don't know what is you know i don't want to be at the top of the fucking corporate ladder lonely you know because that's the another thing that comes with success is like who can you trust you know do people do do these people really have my back or is it just because of what i represent professionally and then the minute if I lose this job, are they still going to be there for me? And I learned that with Kerrang. Like, no, a lot of people aren't. If you're flavor of the week, everybody wants to be your mate. But, you know, there's a lot of people in this industry who don't know what I'm up to. You know, don't even know I live in Bristol. They're like, oh, last thing I heard you were doing this. And I'm like, I'm pretty fucking active on social media, dude. <laughs> like, you just don't care. And that's fine. Um, but I, I have such a great network of people in my life. And, and that's, for me, the most important thing at the moment out of everything. Um, and so, yeah, I just feel really grateful and like appreciative and dare I say successful because of the life that I've built. Like it's, it's my dream life. It's, I get to live my fucking dream life and it feels that's, amazing. That's the, uh, you know, the benefit of doing what you do, but having a certain state of mind, you know, I don't think there's a lot of people who could say they've got friends like you do. You know, and these people might be quote unquote more successful or have some kind of a fame, notoriety, or money. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, what it boils down to is passion, really. I think passion goes hand in hand. And don't get me wrong, you could be completely passionate and love something dearly. And, you know, say, for example, be a podcaster and have no one listen to you. Um, is that success? Question mark. I don't know. But I guess it all depends on how you perceive it. And everything you just said to to me is just beautiful because I think that's the stuff of life right there. It really is. You know, like if you're able to to pay your bills, you're able to survive, to eat, to continue to have friends and relationships, to have some sort of a social life, and you might be just eking by, but you're doing it off the back of something that you love. You're doing it off of art. You're doing it off of this, you know, on paper, you know, what do you call it? What is that thing that you do? It's it's hard to sort of put that down where, you know, you could look at me and say, oh, he's a musician. But at the end of the day, it's so much more than just that title that people throw at you. Because for me, you know, I've been working on this record, for example, for months now, months. Um, and if people were to see the process that I go through to make a record, to write lyrics, to go through versions of these songs and to go through it with a fine comb and make sure every little detail, every word, every sound that comes out of my mouth is exactly how I want it to be. The insanity of the painstaking things that I do, 
when you say musician to me, that that doesn't cover it. It's so much bigger than that. And there's a craft that goes into it that in you have to embody it as as a person, your spirit, the essence of who you are has to be in what you do, or people won't recognize it for what it is. And the one thing I am proud, you know, to sort of toot my own horn, I've Please. got my flaw. I've got my flaws. I'm definitely, you know, uh, to me, I, I know I have improvement in certain areas, but I can write lyrics. I can sort of express either my feelings or somebody else's story in such a way where somehow people are able to connect to it. And I think that's, that's it right there to turn that point around on you and why I even started listening to what you do is because of the way you do it. So you could say Matt Stocks, the podcaster, when I met you, that's kind of who you were. You had this podcast that I liked, but it wasn't that I just liked it. I connected with it. And the reason why I connected with it was because the way you do it, the way you approach people, there's an art to that, you know, turn on any random podcast and I have, and I, within five to 10 minutes, we'll be able to tell you if this is something I'm going to listen to based on the way the voice sounds, the way the person's interacting with you, the way the person's interacting with the guest. There's so many little nuances that either you have, you can work on over time and get better at, or you don't have. And with you, with Life in the Stocks, what got me to listen to not just one episode, but then binge all, <laughs> all of the episodes once you started doing that was because of the way you do it. Your, your genuine curiosity for what people do opens this door that allows the person who's speaking to see a much broader spectrum of conversation to to be comfortable to go in these places that most people aren't likely to go in especially if you're one of those people who's just so used to the old school way of you know I'm going to be interviewed by Kerrang Radio we're going to do these 10 questions and then we're going to be wacky and zany you're going to pick some songs and then you're out of here and with you it wasn't that at all from the jump it was like you were asking questions you were reacting a certain way that I immediately was like, this dude has got it. Whatever it is, he's got it. And that's why I'm going to flip it around on you. You're my fucking hero. Why? Not only because of what you do, but you do it on your own. I, I'll be honest with you, man. If it was just me doing me all the time without all the working parts that go into help me be who I am, I'm not sure I could do it for as long as you did on your own and then have to sort of like, struggle as, as much as you have lately um i commend you for that man and i think that in my heart of hearts um you know and i even said this on a, a fairly recent post about you it's like i feel like you should have your own fucking show period like hmm. tv show even like i would love to see you traveling around like sitting at people's tables going to pubs you know all, whatever because you've got it there's that something that you've got that you would not have had you given up when you fell from those train tracks, when you were, you know, let go from Kerrang Radio, there's this thing, this tenacity that's in your blood that made you continue going and there's passion and that cannot be sort of like manufactured. 
It's just either you have it or you don't. Yeah, and I, I, I'm aware that I do. I'm aware that I'm a curious person. I'm aware that I'm a restless spirit and, and inquisitive. And, you know, I care. I really care about stories and, and, and humanity, really, and, and the connections that I get to make through doing these amazing conversations that you and I have and that I have on my own. Um, the fact just that I get to do it, it is is enough for me now it really is like i don't check listening figures anymore you know there's so many people who are broadcasters presenters personalities even the worst of all terms influencers uh, and they and they're just obs- <laughs> they're obsessed with numbers right and likes and like and all likes that. yeah and i'm like i could not care less there was definitely a time when i wanted more listening figures and i wanted more followers because i wanted to be able to sell what i do to advertisers to make money to live to carry on doing it that was the, that was the whole incentive but now i've just i believe in myself enough to know i can just i can go out there and i can hustle money each month and i still have that hunger so for now i'm going to keep doing it and and you know getting to do things like fucking monster truck shows and i'm hosting a tattoo convention in a few weeks and like just hosting i i would happily never dj a nightclub or a bar ever, <laughs> ever ever again in my life and i'm about to do that tonight from 11 p.m till 4 a.m and it's a fucking abba pop night it's going to be full of old drunk slappers it's going to be a nightmare and i'm not drinking at the moment so it's going to be a nightmare uh, but i do that because that's what pays my bills uh, and then i get to do podcasts and write and do all the other fun stuff that fills my soul and you know boohoo i have to press play on other people's songs for a living but it's pretty fucking emotionally hardcore i challenge anybody to go and stand alone on stage i took aid with me the night well, it was the night of my birthday then the day i turned 37 at midnight i was playing on stage with aid i was like come down I'm doing this power ballad night it should be really fun and there were these women there man just flipping me off like angrily flipping me off because like showing me the the, the bird or whatever you guys call it over there um because i wouldn't play their song because i didn't have it and they were like you know shouting at me and aid was like this is what you put up with and i'm like yeah man like he's like he couldn't believe it because you might have someone flip you off when you're playing on stage with a band but like probably not you know unless you're a really badly booked support band for you know a headliner and you don't fit and the crowds maybe wait i mean you maybe had that at some maiden shows like people <laughs> people flipping you off but you've got your bandmates with you so you can pitch together and be like you know what fuck this person when you're just there on your own for five hours just stood on a stage and you got people fucking coming for you really like coming at you with aggression and and spite and hatred it's fucking hardcore and i nearly got on the mic man i've stopped doing this now because i've gotten away with it for a long time and i need to rein it in but i nearly got on the mic (laughs) and was like listen ladies like I'm not in the best headspace at the moment. It's my birthday right now. <laughs> and I'm actually going to go home tonight and I'm going to fucking kill myself because of the way you're treating me. Like, I'm not. Yeah, but, how, but, to but like, how the fuck would you feel if I did? Because it's not out of the fucking realms of, of possibility. People and do that. People need to think about the way they behave, not to go off on a, a side tangent and a rant and make this negative because I don't want to. But really, people need to think about the energy they put out into the world and how they treat people and the impact that that can have. But to bring it back, again, even with that kind of stuff, Aid was like, I can't believe you're like, you know, you're not fazed by this. I was like, man, 
you just got to put up that force field and look at life like a game. And it is, you know, and that's not to say that I'm not a genuine person. I hope I'm the most genuine person you could ever meet. And I care wholeheartedly about those that I care about and that that I do. Mm. But everything else that I don't have control over, I could not give two shits about at this stage in my life. And that's been key to me finding peace is just like letting other people just get on with whatever they're going to be getting on with because you can't change it. You know, yeah. you, can, you can fight to try and God bless you if you, you still think that there's hope. And it's not that I've given up hope. It's just that I'm focusing my energy and attention in, into specific areas of, you know, my community and those that I care about. And I'm trying to like make a positive change in the world in my own little ways and everything else. I'm happy to just let it, let it be as the Beatles yeah. once said. I think it's self-preservation number one. And I 100%. think number, I think number two too is, and this is something I recently have dealt with. And I actually put up a thing on Patreon about this, about self-esteem, about seeing things through a certain lens. And I think you got to be careful with other people's energy because, you know, people still talk about me. You know, I, I have this, this sort of um, shadow that I, still will quote unquote live under being compared to Howard Jones. That's never going to leave ever. Doesn't even matter what I do, how many albums I do, what project I'm doing. His name is always going to come up in comparison to me. And for the most part, it doesn't bother me at times. It does when I'm not feeling great about myself. Um, to bring it full circle, working on this record and sort of questioning if I've still got what it takes that internal struggle is something that I have to work on, but other people's energy, what they say about me, who they are, how they react, like those women at your DJ gig, that's them. That's not you. Everything that people like that do, it's, it's their problem. Or if people are coming at me for something, it's their insecurity or their jealousy or, you know, whatever. And that outside energy shouldn't affect this temple shouldn't affect you as a person shouldn't sometimes it does but it shouldn't and what we need to do as human beings is internalize that work internalize that love and be confident with who we are regardless of what that outside energy is the people who may come to your gig or if you're working in you know retail or whatever your customer coming at you with something whatever that energy is that is a external coming at you you need to be careful with that energy because if you allow that energy to infiltrate your soul that's when those types of detrimental things like someone killing themselves because they were bullied as a kid or whatever the case may be and that is scary energy to to wrestle with and everybody has to deal with it and i feel like even just recently to be honest with you i've sort of come this had this full circle moment where I look at myself in the mirror and I don't mean this physically. I mean, sort of like on a spiritual level, like, and I'm doing the best that I can. I'm putting out energy that to me is positive. I'm putting all this energy into this record that I believe is important. So no matter what happens, for example, when I put this record out, if people don't like it or they want to compare it or this, that, and the other, that has nothing to do with me anymore. And you have to sort of take that attitude to protect yourself, to continue doing what you do and to put good things out into the world. You need to have that, I like that you said a force field. You need to have that force field up 
at all times, unless you're with someone who really loves you and you can sort of vent to them in an honest way, do that. But don't do it on social media. Don't air out your dirty laundry on social media. Don't do it at a DJ gig when you're pissed and you want to fucking yeah. say something. As I said, I've been reining myself in lately because I've been getting away with it for so long. And yeah, I've said some outrageous shit on the mic over the years. <laughs> I'm like, I don't need to be that guy anymore, bumming people out. You know, that's not what I'm there to do. They can bum me out all they want. But again, as you say, it's internalizing it and just, you know, like sorting it and processing it and not letting it drag you down, not letting it affect you and not letting it reduce who you are and behave in ways that are lesser. And, and that's why I'm on a sober kick at the moment is like, you know, I'm trying to be the best person I can be. And I'm always trying to be the best person I can be. But I know I can be that a lot easier. Well, not easier. I know I know I can hit the level that I want to be hitting when I'm not under the influence and on the mic and like berating people because they've been a twat twat to me. And it's like well, you can be a, be be a twat to me. That's on you. That's on you. Like you should think about how you're you know conducting yourself and carrying out. But it's so important. I had a conversation with a taxi driver the other night because they for me are the people that get it the worst. Like, oh, I can't even imagine when you shut a pub and you kick everybody out. They're then going into taxis. That's where they're going in their worst state. You, as a pub owner, can't wait to get rid of these people, right? And, and you breathe a sigh of relief when they're out the door. But that moment then is them getting into somebody else's car. And that's that person's fucking sanctuary, man. You're in the front seat, they're in the back. So you're vulnerable. You're physically exposed. You're right there. It's your fucking house. People are coming in. They're being sick. They're smoking cigarettes. They're doing taking drugs fucking spitting on the floor spilling shit like just disrespect of the highest level and i was chatting to this dude i was like how do you do it man how do you night in night out like if i was a taxi driver i would only drive in the morning and the day yeah right but he's like but if you do that you don't make the money because everybody's traveling at night that's just the facts of city life and i was like how do you do it and he's the one that said he's like bro you just can't let it affect you man you got to just like treat it like a fucking game and, you know, you, I'm going home to my wife, my family. I've got people I love. I love my life. This is just fucking what I do to pay my bills. And that's real, man. And that conversation hit me. And I was like, I'm complaining about, you know, being on the receiving end of stuff when I'm DJing, but they're in your fucking car right over your shoulder behind you. They could fucking reach over and punch you in the face at any moment. Like, it's dark. And, and people are fucking, you know, and that's the thing with alcohol, right? I love it. I've had many great nights on it. I will again. But it turns even good people into shitheads. So if you're already a shithead and you're drunk, you're the worst version of humanity. And you see it in, <laughs> you see it in cities all over the world after 11 p.m. You're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Fucking what a, a, a nation of barbarians we are. <laughs> well, there's like a whole section of social media that is just that people being caught out doing that shit when they're fucked up. And, you know, I think anybody, even good people, can slip up you know i've had my moments where i'm genuinely a very caring loving empathetic person but deep down inside there's just darkness that can pop up when you're drunk and especially when you don't remember it and someone reminds you of it and you're like i don't even remember that's fucking hardcore i hate that shit i don't ever want to be that person you know um so yeah so anyone out there that's listening moderation is a beautiful thing <laughs> and, and if you can't moderate abstain Stop as, yeah. as, as I'm doing at the moment. But yeah. yeah, I think it's such an amazing place to be in. And I hope everybody, if they're not there now, can find this where you just you're unaffected by that which does not matter. Mm. You know, it's hard to get to that point. 
but something i don't know recently it's just it's clicked the switch has gone on or off depending on which way you look at it breathed a big sigh of relief and i'm just like i'm no longer hung up on things that don't fucking matter yeah i think so much of it doesn't i think what a a big thing that i've wrestled with lately is that word ambition i think that ambition can be a very dark thing because it makes people do think and say things that they wouldn't normally do and you're living your life by comparison right because you're looking all ambition is other people and you go well i want to be bigger than them i want to be further ahead than them like that is the nail on the head right there comparison and i think success is when you take that element out completely throw it out don't look at ambition as something that's positive. It doesn't mean you can't be passionate. It doesn't mean you can't be determined. But let that journey that you're on be your journey. And comparison is fucking dangerous because either A, you feel bad about yourself, or B, you get cocky and you look at other people as less than. Neither of that is good. And to me, neither of that is, is, is what success should be about. So comparison and ambition need to go out the window. I think if you're in it for the right reasons and you continue doing and you're on that path, that is true success by definition in my brain, in my spirit, um, take all that ugly shit out. And I think people know, people can tell, you know, I've been around people who are artists who are, um, you know, in movies who are, you know, X, Y, and Z. I, I rub elbows with enough people and you can sort of tell what type of a person they are and how they got their quote unquote success. And the moment I sort of smell that on them, I smell ambition or all that. I'm like, nice to meet you, but I don't, I don't need you in my life. Like I'm not, no, no, thanks. (laughs) Well, gratitude and humility are the other two key components of it, of a peaceful, happy and, and, you know, productive existence. Mm. Acknowledgement of the fucking grace that you have, um, you know, and the blessed situation that you find yourself in acknowledgement of that an awareness of it and appreciation of it is so important. And um, I wanted to ask you because I've noticed a few times now we've had guests on the show and they have spoken so complimentary uh, about you and your input within the timeline of music and the influence that your bands had and, and you as a vocalist and as a front man and Jake most recently from August Burns Red. And I love it when people come on the show and they're just like, you know, you're a fucking legend, dude. And they give you the props that I feel you deserve. And, you know, I know you don't believe you deserve them, but it must be really, you know, must feel good. It must be nice to hear those things. And do know that in your heart, ego aside, you know that you've made a really valid and valuable contribution to the style of music that you operate in. Um, And that, is not something everybody can say. Yeah, I think for me, I've learned to take compliments better uh, as I've gotten older and more mature, if you will. But I think there's always going to be a part of me that will compartmentalize those words, um, sometimes to a detriment, um, because I do try to remain healthy and also hungry for my craft. But I think it's important, and I'd say this to anybody who has a hard time taking compliments or having someone tell you that you're doing a good job. Um, I think it's important to listen to those things and to allow them to sort of sit within you and give you a sense of confidence, a sense of purpose, a sense of well-being. 
Um, because at times that stuff is the stuff that keeps you going when you're in those dark times, you know, and I don't, don't spend time on the internet anymore reading compliments, reading comments, you know, cause I, you know, of all the good ones I'll see, there'll be that one that'll just put me in a bad mood or piss me off. I'm like, how dare you? Like you asshole, you don't even know me. That's wasted energy. But in the same breath, I think as much as reading those things or accepting, you know, looking for that sort of, um, what's the word validation from others is dangerous. I do think there's a certain amount of it that you need to engage with healthily. Um, and people have said extraordinary things to me. People that I admire too have said extraordinary things to me. And that does bring me a sense of purpose and, and joy in the moment, but it's not something that I'm sort of harping on or printing out and putting on my bathroom mirror to remind me of how great I am. I bet, I bet Sebastian Bach does that. <laughs> I fucking I love know. that, dude. Um, yeah, but I think that the, it's important to sort of, I think it all kind of goes into gratitude. If, 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 if I were to be like honest, I think when that stuff happens, I'm grateful for it, but I don't live off of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Um, and what you said about gratitude uh, is something I actually fell out of for a while, but I was doing this every single morning where I wake up and the first thing I do, I do not grab that phone. I don't, you know, I don't do anything, but I sit, even sometimes my eyes are closed and I sit and I just say in my heart of hearts or even aloud, if I'm alone, just thank you for the breath of life. You know, whether you want to call it God or the great spirit of the universe or science, just giving you life, the fact that you still exist another day and the possibility of that day, that is fucking beautiful. Even on my dark days when I'm depressed, you know, cause I'm coming, coming out of a pretty dark time in my life, uh, just be, from depression, I still was grateful to have that first breath. And if you just focus that first thought of your day is gratitude for whatever it is, list it. That's a great way to start your day because everything else, your perspective of your day and what you've got to do to make the money or what you've got to suffer through, or it doesn't matter what it is. If you start with gratitude, your day will shift. You will have a better day than you would had you not done that. Uh, and I recently got back into doing that again after stopping for a while. And I've noticed a big difference. So I, to anyone out there, start your day with gratitude in your heart, like a real sincere, genuine gratitude for the little things. The fact that you do have a bed you sleep in, a roof over your head, food in your refrigerator or your cabinets, like that shit, not everybody has that. So, you know, with success in these things that we sort of strive for as humans, you have to dial it all back in and realize that you're alive, you're breathing, you're existing, and hopefully you're thriving. And that's beautiful. Not everyone gets to do that every day. Some people don't make it up, you know? So I think that for me in closing is, is important to really put out there to everybody. Be grateful for what you got. Amen. And you know, if I had a succeeded in taking myself out 10 years ago i wouldn't have got to have toured the world gone on cruises made all these amazing friends that i've made in the last 10 years of my life had all these beautiful relationships evolve and flower and enrich my life in so many ways and spread joy through hundreds of podcasts and 
you know, monster truck events and entertain kids, like all of this stuff that the last 10 years alone, um, you know, because there's a lot of people who still view me as Matt from Kerrang. And that for a while was a bit of a bum out because it's like, I haven't been on it for 10 years, but now I look at it the other way of like, wow, you still remember that with fondness. You still remember something I did 10 years ago enough to want to bring it up. Um, what a beautiful existence and how amazing that, you know, since then, since this thing, which in many ways was the peak of my career. And it was in terms of the people I was reaching, you know, millions of people on the station. I don't do anything like those numbers now with my own independent projects, but you know, what I've got to enjoy and, and experience and achieve, dare I say, in the last 10 years alone um, has been so bountiful and amazing. Um, and so just by continuing, not just to work, but to live and stay fucking in the fucking game of life and not give up on yourself, great things will come. Uh, if not at first, certainly at some point, if you just keep putting yourself out there, putting the right energy out there, letting the right energy in. Um, and practicing gratitude, as you say, for being alive. Even, dude, even just in, in, in real closing, even just getting to shit, right? Getting to take a shit <laughs> is a <laughs> gift that we all take for granted every day. Yeah. I was blocked up for like nearly fucking, nearly a month. It was a long time, dude. My fucking tummy was like a mountain and as tight as a drum. And I just couldn't shit. They were giving me laxatives, enemas, everything. And yeah. I just could not shit. I eventually took a fucking shit on Boxing Day. I remember making, I was like a Christmas wish. I was like, all I want for Christmas is the shit. All I want for Christmas is the shit. Please let me shit. Um, and then Boxing Day, the shit finally came. And I was like, I'm never going to fucking take shitting for granted ever again. <laughs> Obviously you do. You can't, you can't after every shit go, hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> but like. I mean, you could. <laughs> you could. People, people might think that's a pretty kooky little quirk you got there. <laughs> But really, little things like that, getting to fucking walk, getting to walk, getting to shit, getting to fucking breathe, simple physical activities. Um, not everybody gets to do, man. If you want to break it down as basic as basic as that. Um, what a lovely productive talk, as always. And yeah. uh, a couple of old geezers, you know, long in the tooth, still here. And that's what it's all about, man. I want to still it. be here for another 10 years. And I can't wait to see what, you know, those 10 years have in store for, for both of us and for everybody that we know and love. And thank you so much for that lovely message that you did post on Instagram on my birthday, man. And, um, and, and Corinne as well wrote something really lovely. And I just, you know, I'm so fucking grateful for this friendship and for this show and for this audience and for this awesome little, you know, pocket of, of the podcast community that we've managed to create and that we get to enjoy really special really cool and um yeah hallelujah likewise brother it's our it's our little therapy sessions that uh have a ripple effect somehow and uh, it's a beautiful thing it's a different type of purpose and truly a different type of success that we share and i'm super grateful for that as well and to everybody out there who's listening thank you for tuning in as always thank you for all your support for our patreon people and for people who i just meet on a regular basis, even here in Woodstock, little old Woodstock, getting stopped in the grocery store and someone saying, life in the stocks is great. I love Matt's stocks. Stoke the fire is great. I love what you do. And sometimes they don't even mention the band. And I'm like, that's awesome. They wow. are a fan of Matt and I and what we do. Love that. So cool. Grateful that's for amazing. that as well. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really amazing, man. And 
to close, I'm not going to read the message out, but I want to give a shout out uh, to, to Chuck Reagan, who sent us a lovely message after we'd shared the Lyman Good episode. He, I guess, caught a bit of that clip on your page. He stopped what he was doing, went and listened to the episode, and he just wrote us the loveliest message saying how the work that we do on this show is really important. Never stop, dig deep, love and respect. And, you know, to come from him was mind-blowing it was it was so sweet what he said so big shout out to chuck reagan and to all the guests that have been on the show and and punk rock hero punk rock hero chuck reagan thank you brother all right dude well lovely seeing your face lovely catching up as it always is and uh yeah till next time i can't wait so when you're having that gig tonight and you hit that (laughs) you have that moment where you're like ah i just want to get out of here play a long song go into the Go into the loo and have yourself a nice shit and be grateful. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Hallelujah. And we'll end off with that. <laughs> Quality programming.